today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, where we value human life, especially the life of the unborn. And we remember that God loves everybody, including the unborn. So let's keep that in prayer. And there's a lot of things to pray about in our lives, in the lives around us. And I'm going to talk about some of that in just a minute. Matter of fact, uh, I'm going to challenge you to uh, I'm going to challenge you to do one simple thing with this. And if you're in church today, you you and you are, uh, or if you're listening online and and you are, then it's not an accident. There's some sort of spiritual inclination that that goes on in our hearts. We can't explain it. We don't have words for it. But we're going to look at it this morning and to, and today. And I'm going to simply encourage you just to lean into that. You, you don't have it framed up in your mind. And, and I'm, I'm going to encourage you to, to, to lean into that. And it's easy for us to think that, yeah, God loves, you know, he loves certain people. Uh, he loves people. Uh, and we can think of people that he loves in our mind. Um, you know, maybe somebody that we've known. Yeah, they're good people. They're, you know, they, God loves, certainly loves them. And sometimes we don't feel so good about ourselves. We're not so sure that God could love us because we project onto God how we feel about ourselves. Think of that. And it, it, it's, it's kind of, we, we kind of get in the fog with it spiritually because it, it just kind of becomes a gobbled up mess in our minds that we can't straighten out. And I, want, I hope today as we begin to look at the scripture at this, and I'm, I'm titling this message a series of message called The Chase. And it's in pursuit of the God who is pursuing you. You say, God is pursuing me? You bet he is. Matter of fact, that's the whole Christian message. I'm reminded of a little story I heard of a little boy who was in church, and this is a church that you kind of had to be quiet in. Uh, not like ours. <laughs> Uh, uh, and uh, he was acting up. He was acting up, and they were in the front, and uh, you know, and and you know, everybody was listening to these kids. This child just that kind of act up, and his dad said, "You know, you need to be quiet. You gotta be quiet. You're in church. You gotta be quiet." You know, you know, your parents feel that pressure at times. I'm sure, if you're a parent, you felt it at some point in time, and uh, you gotta be quiet. He never did. He couldn't. And finally, the dad just kind of got it. He said, listen, let's go. And he picks him up, and he goes out, and he starts marching down the aisle with him. And everything starts getting quiet. And the little boy says, pray, saints, pray. <laughs> oh, don't you love kids? I do. Just love kids. You just don't know what they're, what, what they're going to say or how they perceive things, you know? Um, I remember... Yeah, I was thinking back into my childhood. And, you know, I had a really good childhood. I mean, other than some big things that happened that were not good. I mean, my, my, my father passed away when I was really young. That wasn't good. But by and large, my mom made sure that I had a pretty normal and happy childhood. And we didn't have a lot materially, but I didn't know it. And it didn't really matter. You know, my, I was thinking of this. You know, when I was like in the fifth grade and sixth grade, fourth grade and fifth grade and middle school, and even early on, you know what my biggest concern was? My biggest concern was that the, the consistency of the mud pies would, would, be, would be just right so I could take my Tonka trucks and make sure that the pavement was laid. And then I got into seventh grade, and it was seventh grade was cold. I was like, you know, I had a basketball go in my in my in our driveway, and it was not paved; it had gravels in it. And um, but I got pretty good at shooting hoop. You know, I could envision myself playing basketball, and I I, I thought, you know, if you if you kind of if you kind of uh, uh, master maybe the you know the hook shot because I'm thinking it's tough for people to block those 
So I kind of got really good at that. And uh, I wasn't good with dribbling and other things, but I was good, pretty decent with a hook shot. So just don't hand me the ball to dribble. I might double dribble, but I can do a hook shot if it's clear. <laughs> and lo and behold, don't you know that I made, I made, I became, I became, first, I, I, I got on the team. Now, not the high school team, it was the seventh grade intramurals. And so I was picked out of our homeroom. I, I got to picked, and I, I got to play, and I got to show off my hook shot, which was not really that good. It was good in my mind. But uh, And I'm thinking, seventh grade, man, is so cool because I am now, and we made our own shirts with our teacher's name, and I was in Miss Elmore's class, and so I became an Elmore Eagle. Get it? I mean, yeah, I mean, pride was swelling up, and it was good. And, and we... I, I don't know if we even placed, but I had pride in being an Elmore Eagle. And then somewhere along the middle part of the seventh grade, somebody told me that, I mean, I was at the pinnacle of my middle school career. I mean, it was good. Life was good, and I had very few cares. And I'm thinking, in my mind now, I'm thinking, man, I'd like to go back there. You've said that. Because I was told in the seventh grade, somewhere about middle way, that I would be going to a high school and they would put me in the basement. And I had these visions of being a quote-unquote basement rat. I was told that. That, oh yeah, you're going to be in high school and you know all the upperclassmen are up there and they put you, in the, they put you guys in the basement. You are in the eighth grade. And all of a sudden, I remember just this, this big swallowed up feeling, first day of school. And I remember, man, I don't, know that I, can, I don't know that I can handle this because there was 30 people in math class. And I'm thinking, the teacher don't even know my name. And I'm like, oh, brother, what's, what's happening? I was an Elmore Eagle. And eighth grade happened. Eighth grade happened. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, my mind became plagued with fears and worries and doubts and self-doubts and all kinds of things that's going on in my life. And I remember, I remember that for the first time, for the first time, I felt the need. The need. No more, no more playing with my Tonka trucks. I had now arrived and I was a basement rat. Right? And I recognized that there was a need and I felt so overwhelmed and inadequate. And I want you to look at, at this in the chase. I want you to look in Matthew chapter 6. Go ahead and go to the next two slides. We recognize in the wisdom of living that we have needs. And the longer you live, the more aware that you are in a place that is needy. Right? Can you say amen to that? Just this side. I'm glad this side is still making mud pies with me. Okay, all right. For this side over here, you recognize that in the wisdom of living, there's needs, right? And your needs are defined. You you come in with them. It's it's they're they're there. And and so I, I want you to think of think of this as we as you move on into into life, you become more and more aware of the needs. So you get into high school, you, you go to college, and you recognize after college that you get the job, and there's mortgages to pay, there's bills to pay, there is insurance to buy, there's a car to maintain, there's oil that needs to change, there is a roof that may be leaking, you've got a leaky and faulty basement, don't you know? There are, there are sniffles, and there's snuffings, and there's all kinds of things that, that remind you that you're in a constant state, and there's always a constant need before you, and there always is, right? Always. 
So you, you recognize, and then you, well, kids will bring great joy, and they do. They great, bring great joy. But you have an increased awareness when you have the, your children that the need is even greater. Because now you're not only concerned with your own needs, but now you're concerned about the needs of your children. And all of a sudden, your life is simply focused most of the time, if not a majority of the time, as well as mine, on the present need that is urgent before you. True? And then you go back to ninth grade or freshman biology, and you realize that if the survival of the fittest is true, as Charles Darwin had said, then I am not too fit for survival. Because I'm overwhelmed half the time. That this, this thing is not panning out and that, that the needs are always greater and there's always, I'm, there's always one, two, three, or four, or five needs ahead and I want to go back and make mud pies. I'm like, what happened to that time? Now, you know, I, I look back with my mom who's now 90 and I'm thinking, man, my mom... She carried so much as a, as a single mom, as a, as a widow, in caring for the family, in providing, in cooking, cleaning, and making sure all these things that were taking care of the house. And, and, and I'm thinking, I know what it takes now, and I'm over, I'm, you know, you, it just comes overwhelming. And then, you know, and then you get your evening news on top of it. Don't you know that you need to be concerned about and the need is there. You know, there's tensions in the Middle East. There's tensions with China. There's tensions with Iran. There's tensions with, with, uh, um, in all the parts of the world. And there's tensions around you, in our state, in our community, in, in our lives, in, 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 in our own lives. And, I, you know, wait a minute. I, it's hard to just phantom my own needs rather to consider that the, the needs are even greater because we live in a very, very needy world. Are you getting it? And then somebody tells you that you need an upgrade. Do you know that your old phone is already outdated and you just got it last month? You need an upgrade for your phone. You need an upgrade. For, you're thinking an upgrade for my phone, Greg. I need an upgrade for my life. Right? And I, I need an upgrade for my life. There needs to be an upgrade in me as a person. And there needs to be an, you know, my, you know I, that I am, listen, do you know that I am now carrying around a phone that the screen is broken on? How am I ever going to function in my life? And it needs to be upgraded. The need is all around us, and we're bombarded with it. You're bombarded with it that most of the time what consumes my mind and your mind is the presency, the present urgency of the present need. Are you feeling it yet? And listen, no wonder, listen, no wonder that there's a whole generation that are dealing with anxiety, fears, depressions. I mean, seriously, why wouldn't we be? When you look at how we approach life and how what shapes our life and what shapes our goals, what shapes our thinking, and what shapes all around us, all of a sudden we, we just kind of operate in an, undercurrent, in an undercurrent of anxiety. And we can't go back and make mud pies anymore. And we say, how do, you, how, do you, how do you change this? Can this change? And does, where does, you know, listen, let's just face it. What happens is we begin to think that and we become so consumed with the needs around us and you want to add God to it? Don't you know that your life is already, already consumed with so much that you try to add the religious stuff to it and the God stuff? And all of a sudden, I, you know, I understand why people don't have time for God. 
at least in their conception. Or at least in the way they think about it. How can that change? I mean, can it change? So here's what happens. The, the chase, this chase, let's go to the next one. The chase, the chase leaves us consumed with meeting the material needs of life to sustain living. So we just focus on material things. That we fail in pursuing the spiritual impulses for life meaning. Now that's the big deal. Because all of a sudden, all of a sudden you're saying, you know what, there ought to be more in my relationships. There ought to be more meaning. There ought to be more about my work and my vocation than just me showing up and doing a job and then retiring because that's the pinnacle. And then whatever you do after that. There has to be something about meaning in, in, in all of that. And where is life's meaning in it? Where is life's meaning? In, in these things. You see, all of a sudden, we get so consumed with the need of, in meeting the material things, getting a job. And those are great things, by the way. You need a job. You need to be fruitful. But God intended, and God intends so much more. Let me just ask you a question. Does the Bible have anything at all to say about what I've just talked about? Because, listen. Now listen to me very carefully. Because most people today, culturally, assume that it is totally irrelevant. That is the pervasive mindset today. That this stuff that we're talking about is completely, totally irrelevant to life. To meaning. To purpose what matters do you would you believe that Jesus deals with this he really does and I'm going to show you where I want you to look with me in the gospel of Matthew this has indeed been entitled by scholars and everyone as the greatest sermon ever the greatest sermon ever and I want you to notice what Jesus said. And we're going to break, I'm going to break this down. And we're going to kind of try to unpack this. And I want you to see this. And if, let me just give you some encouragement here today. If you're here today and, I, and through all of the, the, what I've been talking about, the need, and you felt overwhelmed with it, you just hang on. I'm getting ready to give you some relief. Because Jesus gives us a challenge of how to approach it completely different from a whole different perspective. And it won't be the perspective that you'll be going back and making mud pies. But it will be a perspective that is growing and maturing in faith and in personal confidence and in your relationship with God. It gives you a perspective. And that's what Jesus does in this. I want you to look at this. I want you to notice what he says. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink. Or about your body, what you will wear. And notice what he says. He just simply asks a question. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap and gather or gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Hmm, question. Are you not much more valuable? than they are? Who are you by worrying could add a single hour to your life? Look at the next one. And why do you worry about clothes? Consider how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spend, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory was adorned like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. 
Look at the next one. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles strive after these things. Now I want you to get this. He says the Gentiles strive after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. Now I want want to give you three things that relate to what Jesus actually, if you go through this and you begin to just walk through it, what you begin to see, Jesus simply begins to open up our assumptions about life. You see, it's very easy for us to approach life on a material level. Because we're always presented with a need, and the need is ever before us. And, and, and the, the money that we need, the, we, the things that we chase then become all the time on a surface level, and we can't really ever get down to any kind of depth in our own spiritual life, let alone depth in relationships. It's just too hard. And, and it's, it takes time. And it takes our attention away from the things that seem to be urgent before us. So uh, the first thing that we see here is this. Jesus opens up our assumptions. Notice here, he, he just simply opens up the assumptions. He challenges our assumptions of the urgency of material things over the spiritual inclinations that arise within the soul. He says this, he just simply asks a question. Is your life more than about the food you eat or the clothes you wear? Now what is he saying? Well, he's saying, is that all there is to life? Is that it? Is the sum total of your life purely about what you wear and what you eat? And everything within you says, everything within you says this. Now, I want you to think about that. That's the thing that you have to pursue. That's the thing that you've got to do. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there is a spiritual inclination in your heart. You know what? You say it this way. It is said something like this in your internal dialogue. You know what? There has to be more to life than this. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from a creator who created you in his image that gives you the inclination that there must be more to life than just material and the urgency of it. So Jesus opens up our assumptions. He opens up our assumptions and he draws us. So you've got desires in your life. You've got desires in your, for marriage or in your marriage. You've got desires for your life. You've got desires and goals and aspirations. And, and Jesus is basically saying, take the shift and the focus and the paradigm being from the material and begin to look at the inclinations that are deep within the depth of the human experience and the human heart. And everybody's aware of them at some point in their life, I think. Unless they just suppress it. Those spiritual inclinations that arise within my life. You know what? I, there, there's, there is a sense that I need to be loved. Yeah, we talk about that. C.S. Lewis, the great philosopher of the, of the of 20th century, wrote about that. And he talks about, he talks about in, his, in his book, The Four Loves, the, the reality that, that he talks about the, all the different types of love. From Eros to, to Eros to Storego to Phileo, or brotherly love, and, or the love of parents to children. And basically he says, until you get the love of God, the agape love, and the sacrificial part of love, how it was expressed in God the Son on his cross then all these other loves don't really make sense. you got to get the love of God right. You say, it's that important? It is that important. Otherwise, people will look for love in all the wrong places. They'll try to fill the God vacuum in the heart with relationships, and relationships one after another, they will, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll fail. 
And so they look and look and look, and, and, and they're always on the chase and a search to, to meet some sort of internal inclination that, is, that, they, that they know is there, and they're looking for the material, to, the surface things, to minister to the depth of the spiritual things. I want to tell you something. There's only... There's only the depth of your heart. It's where God meets you. And no human can meet your spiritual needs. Not your spouse, not your children. There is a place that is reserved for God. And a personal relationship with Him. And it's real. I'm not talking about religion. I'm Listen, I am not talking about church. I am talking about your relationship with your creator who created you. And those inclinations of the heart are put there not by your own mind or your fanciful or social engineering or anything else. They're put there by your creator. And Jesus is saying, well, isn't life more than your job? I mean, it's what gives you the food and clothes and all the other things. Isn't your life more than, isn't there more to it than that? Yeah, that's the first assumption. The urgency of the material things, because there will always be an urgent material need before you, period. Right? Number two, I want you to look at this. Now, are you with me so far? If you are, just kind of say, amen. Okay, here's the number two. You see... Jesus challenges our assumptions, the perception of our personal value. Now, notice here, he gets even more personal. I want you to notice how he, how, how he goes deeper. The perception of our own personal value compared with the spiritual instinct of being valued by God. See, some of you here, as much as you've heard it said here today, you're convinced that God is love, but you're not convinced that God loves you. He couldn't. And you've got the reasons why God couldn't love you in your mind. And, and notice what he says. He says, your heavenly father, he says, look at the birds. The birds of the air. I mean, they fly around without worries and cares and so forth. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, I see, he's saying something there. He said, he said, wait a minute. Now it's getting personal. So he goes, from, he goes from the urgency of material needs to our own personal value, what brings value into our lives. Compared with this spiritual instinct, he says, now, could there be, since that there is this drawing to be want and a desire to be loved and to be known by God, could it be that that spiritual instinct is a spiritual instinct of being that you are indeed valued truly? See, how many times have you said, I just wish they got me. I wish they understood me. I, I just wish that, 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 that they understood that who, I, who I am. You, the deepest desire of, your human, of the human heart is for intimacy. And it is an intimacy that God has created you for. And the intimacy is an intimacy that is with Him. So you fill it up. People fill it up with all kinds of things. They, 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 they take cheap substitutes for it. Sexual promiscuity. All kinds of things. Relationship after relationship. Why? Because there's a love need. And the love need until that love need is, is met by the living God. You will search to... To an infinite degree into heartache and hurt. When there is a God who says, I love you completely, I love you purely. And I love you because you are valuable and created in my image. Hallelujah. To know a love like that. You see, it was that kind of love that begins to lay the foundation of healthy human relationships. So how much does God love me then? 
If, if God says that I'm this valuable, that He cares for me more than birds, that He cares for me more than birds, and that, that there's, this in spirit, there's this instinct within me that says, you know what, there is a thing called love, and I believe that it's out there. Could it be, most assuredly, could it be in your relationship with the one who created it in the first place? He wrote the book. He defined it. God said it was so valuable that the sin that we all deal with that reminds us of our need because we live in a fallen world. And it's full of sin. And it's even within us. That we recognize the power and reality that this God who said that He loves us unconditionally and He loves us that He would leave the glory of a place that had no need at all and come to the most needy place and not only come to the most needy place, come down to where we are and get down into the depths of our lives and says, I will show you how valuable you are because the sin that separates you from my Father, I will. God the Son comes and bears it upon His cross. And he says, your father will remember your sin no more because of my sacrifice. That's how much I love you. And you just take a deep breath and you say, well, I'm going to have to try to do better. No. You're going to have to trust. Trust that what he did on the cross was not only sufficient but satisfying. You say, but I can't. I mean, yeah, he did it for me. It is God's active stamp of value upon human beings in our lives that, that what separated us from God that would destine us for hell actually brings us into relationship through his son Christ who bore our sin and wrath. And he doesn't, it gets even better. And he says, because I live, you shall live also. Well, life is what we're searching for. It's, it's what we're pursuing. It's, it's, that, it's this idea of life. And Jesus says, because I live, you shall live also. Not only physical life, spiritual life, but life in the fullest. Now, this spiritual instinct is what I'm asking you today is... What if you leaned into that? Here's the third thing that Jesus gets to. He challenges our tendency to overvaluing the temporary and surface level while undervaluing the spiritual inside of the eternal. Look at verses 29 and 30. Look at what they say. I want you to see this. And you, 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 you see it here. I want you to see it. Uh, let me find it. He says, verse 30, And if God cares you so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown away, He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Why do you have little faith? So don't worry about these things. What you eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. In other words, this is how materialists live. This is how materialists live. Without a thought of God. One translation says this is how pagans live. One translation says this is how Gentiles live. This is how people that live without God. So sometimes you and myself are a contradiction in terms. We say we believe God and trust God, but I'm like the guy that says, Lord, I have faith, but help it. I need a lot of it. Overvaluing the temporary and surface level while undervaluing the spiritual inside of the eternal. God says basically the needs are not forever, and they're not. 
So what does Jesus then say? Now here's the, you're thinking, man, he's just now getting it. That's my introduction. Aren't you glad? Now here's what Jesus said. You see that? You see, you got to have, you need spiritual insight. And you got to lean into the spiritual. And the, listen, there's not too many places that you can go that will encourage you to lean into it. Unless they're kind of like New Age and, and they're, wanting to, they're wanting to sell a book or, or you know, sell whatever their wires that they sell. Or, or uh, uh, it's, it, it's it right here. Jesus is taught, dealing with it. And it's right here in the Bible. You overvalue, and we live in a culture that overvalues the temporary and surface level. I, you know, and I know ball's important. I know that, but I want to tell you, 10 years from now, you won't even remember the score. You won't even remember who, who, who the Super Bowl champ was or, you know, the team that won. Or you might remember a play, you know. Um, but, you know, those things are only temporary and they last momentarily. Same is true in pain. Same is true for other things that we deal with in life. So what does Jesus say? And I want you to look at this. Here's what Jesus, here's everything that Jesus, Jesus kind of peels off these layers. I want you to see that. He just kind of peels these layers off of three things that gets down to the heart. Not, what does he say? Now, get this. He's saying that there needs to be a change in the paradigm in the way you're thinking about these things. Yeah, you live in a world of need. And those needs are real. I don't want to minimize them. don't want to say they don't exist. They're real. But notice what Jesus says. And I want you to look at this verse. Jesus said this. Jesus said, here's the big idea. Many of, many of if not most, are too overwhelmed with surviving the things of life. That, and they're too distracted to pursue their spiritual impulses. Now, so Jesus said to do what? To seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. God's not saying he's not, He doesn't care about your needs, is He? No. He's saying, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these things shall be what? Added unto you. You say this verse with me. Seek first the and all His and all these shall be added to you. Okay, you get it now. So, we are to seek first the and and all these you got to get first things first and that is seek first the and his and all these So there you go. That's how you get your new car, right? No. <laughs> it's not what that means. Jesus is saying this. And I found myself praying at times. And I'm saying, okay, Lord, I like that verse, but I don't like it. Now, you're afraid about something and, and Scripture comes to your mind that's kind of opposite to what you're praying? And just you? Just me? I'm sorry. Well, forget that. But sometimes the scripture comes to my mind. I'm like, okay. And I've been praying about something, and, and, and it's, this verse just comes back. And I'm like, no, you know, I know that verse. I mean, I preached that. Yeah, it's like, Greg, yeah, you know it. But you don't know it. You know it. Yeah, you know it. And, and here's, here's, here's the thing. And I've got to close. Listen, I've got to be quiet. But here's the deal. Just because you know it doesn't mean that you know it. You know what I'm saying? 
Just because you know something, you know it here. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. They're like, yeah, well, what's the pre? Well, he said, seek first the kingdom of God. Yeah, we all know that, don't we? Yeah, we do, right? Yeah. What does it mean? Well, you start, start going back to the first one. Does that mean that you're, you're leaning into your spiritual impulses? So I'm, I'm, I'm going to close with this. What if, and I'm going to give you three or four what ifs, so get back back there already. What if our perceptions became informed with the kingdom of heaven? In other words, we take our need, whatever it is before God, and we say, okay, God, here it is. You know these needs, but I am declaring that I am seeking first the kingdom of God, and I want your kingdom to come in this need. And whatever your kingdom, whatever your kingdom will is over here in this need, I want your kingdom to come and for your honor and glory to be given to you and to you alone and to you to meet that need according to your riches which is in glory. And however you choose to do that, I'll be satisfied with it. That's the problem. Sometimes I'm not satisfied with the answer that God may give me. And so I struggle with God. Well, I prayed about it and it didn't happen. Notice what the scripture says. Seek first the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things. Well, in other words, you get your heart in alignment in sync with the impulses of heaven. You see, the impulses are there all along. We cover them over with stuff, with needs. So, what if our pursuits became Christ? In other words, our pursuit became Christ himself. And that is that, that intimacy with him, to know him better, to love him more, to be more. To, to, uh, to press into the reality of the spiritual things in our life more. And we prayed, and we prayed like we really mean it. Why? Because we love Jesus. And it just overflows in our life because it is the pursuit of our heart. It's Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And you turn around and you say, there's need. Yeah, but there's Jesus. Yeah, but you don't know how bad it is. Yeah, but there's Jesus. Oh, but yes, but the need is great. Oh, yes, but our God is greater. The power and reality of Jesus. You see, we were consumed, we are most of the time consumed and overwhelmed with the things that we miss, and we're underwhelmed, we're underwhelmed with God. What if it what if what if the paradigm shift? What if the change in our thinking, our perceptions, and our pursuits became? And what if? Let me just ask you, what if? What if, let's go to the next one, what if, what if we went on an all-out chase of God by leaning into our spiritual impulses through, for God, through prayer? In other words, what if we sought first the kingdom of heaven and His righteousness? What if a lost soul was more important than whatever it is that we perceive the spiritual or the, the material need to be? What if we went out on all chase for God, who has all of a sudden been pursuing us the whole time? What if we went out on all chase leaning into those spiritual impulses for God through prayer? What if we prayed? What if prayer became our first response rather than our last resort? What if prayer becomes a very captivating part of our heart? What if, and what if, what if we have and what if we made prayer the first thing? That's what this verse is talking about. And Jesus said it this way. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all of these other things, either your perception will change or God will change something in your circumstance. One of the two. You know, amazingly, I've I found myself at times praying for stuff and I'm thinking, now why did I pray for that? Well, it was because this big old need was presented and I've worried and fret. You know, I do the real Christian thing. I worry, I am, quote, concerned. And that's code word for saying, yeah, I'm worried and fretting, and I'm at the point of begging. But what if? What if you leaned into God's love for you? And you say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to take this word at his word, that God loves me like that. And he's not waiting for you to get any better to love you more. It's not. You can't do it. 
He loves you just where you're at, the way you are, but he won't leave you there. He'll, 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 he will encourage you to, to grow in faith in Christ. But I'm, what, could, what could happen in our lives? What could happen in our families? How about some of you have lost children? What could happen in your children if we just simply begin to say, okay, God, I'm trusting you. Some of you have been doing that for your children. You've been praying and praying and praying, and sometimes you, you get weary in praying. Well, but keep praying. Some of you have been praying for breakthroughs in your life. Keep praying. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and let God do His God stuff. And you leave it with Him. Now let's pray. I've got to be quiet. I've got to pray. We've got to pray. I'm just going to ask you, what if first things first? Now let me ask you this morning. Some of you are here and you say, man, that's me, Greg. I am consumed with a need. I need a paradigm shift in my way of thinking. Because, man, my mind is plagued with worries and fears and doubts and everything. And I know it. I get it. You've been conditioned that way. You live in a world that's fallen. So do I. And I have to fight against it. And I have to say, okay, God, here's here. And I know this stuff. I supposedly know this stuff. And I struggle with it. God, help me. And, you know, that, I'm just going to ask you, why don't you lean into the spiritual impulse? And say, okay, God, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to seek you. I'm not going to seek all the answers. I'm going to lean to my own understanding. I'm just going to seek you, and I'm going to look to you, and I'm going to search for you with all my heart. And the Bible says when you search for him with all your heart, you'll find him. He's not far off, by the way. He's been working in your heart the whole time, drawing you to himself. Why? Because he created you and loved you and created you for that. I want to turn a little bit of music on, but I wanted to simply have a time of prayer this morning. You may have a need for yourself. That you just want to bring it to Jesus. Our prayer room will be open at the end. If you've got a prayer need that you want to pray about, you can go to the prayer room back there, and there'll be somebody back there to pray with you. If you want to come this morning to the altar and bring and bring your need, bring yourself to Jesus. Maybe there's just need to be a realignment in your thinking, in your pursuits, and what you're looking to. What could happen? What could happen if you allowed God to feel the love need in your heart with Himself? What, what could happen if you say, okay, God, I've been trying to do it my way and I, it's not working too well. But I, I want to trust Jesus. I want to trust Christ to meet, my, meet me at the deepest point of my need. I'm overwhelmed by him, Lord, and forgive me for, for kind of pushing you to the side, but today I'm, I'm leaning into you. I'm telling you, Jesus can do something in your life. Go ahead and play some, a little bit of music if you got it on back there. He he can do something in your life if you lean into him. Don't tell him what he needs to do. Just say, God, here I am. Here I am. And I'm trusting you. Frail, weak, lonely, tired, worn. I'm just leaning into all I know, and that is to lean into the spiritual impulse of, of to pray and to seek you. Jesus said it like this. He says, They that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. He loves us. And I don't know why we fight against it other than we want to do it our own way. But oftentimes, more, more I see the needs, the more I realize that I'm not God and I can't even begin to scratch the surface of meeting what He can do on a grand level in our lives when we give ourselves totally, completely, and fully surrendered to Him. It's powerful what He wants to do in our lives. We tell our young people, God's got a great future for you, and He does. He does. As you lean into Jesus, He, he will lead you and guide you. He'll lead you in, 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 in directions of your life, in your careers and relationships. He does all that. Why? Because He loves us. He loves us. And so your prayer may be, Lord, I'm one of those with little faith. Jesus said it to them. I could have been right there and he would have said it to me. Greg, why are you? Why is your faith so small? Don't you know that I take care of these things? But I'm worried and fretful, Lord. Yeah, I know. But don't you know that I'm God? Some of you plagued with worries and doubts and fears and anxieties. What could happen if you, you begin to just lean into, instead of leaning into your anxieties to think or your depression or your anger, or your, what, what could happen if you begin to lean into the spiritual impulse of God's love for you? 
could it be life-changing? I believe it could. I believe it could. Some of you have... Whatever your need, know that there is a Savior who knows us and who loves us. Now, every head is, is bowed and eye closed. The greatest need that you have is to personally know Christ as your Savior and Lord. That's the greatest need. That's the greatest need to know where you're going in eternity. And you get that right, and amazingly, you get all these other things kind of fall into place. But I, I want to ask you, do you know Him personally? Jesus loves you, and He died on a cross for your sins. And He rose that you could be justified before God, declared right. And it's not based on your feelings, it's based on what, you, what you're banking on, what you're trusting in. And that's what Christ did. He loves you. He wants you to come to Him. You're here this morning, you say, you know what, Greg, I have never trusted Christ as my Savior and Lord, but I'm going to lean into the spiritual impulse today. I want to trust Him as Savior and Lord. Now, we're not going to do anything big and fancy. We're just going to, we'll lead you in a prayer. But is that you? If I just described you and you say yes to Jesus, yes today, yes to the, I'm wanting to trust Christ as my Savior. I'm not asking you if you're a church member. I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm asking you, are you trusting Christ as your Savior and Lord? And you say, I have not, and I want to. Anybody here say, lift your hand up and say, I want to trust Christ today. Anybody at all? It's okay. It's okay. Okay. Now, the second part of this invitation is, is to remind you that if you've got a need, that you just need, if you want folks to help you with prayer, to pray along with you. Go to our prayer room out to the side here, and there'll be somebody there waiting for you with care. And they'll just simply help you pray. They'll pray along if you've got a physical need, you've got a physical sickness, you've got a spiritual need, you've got a concern for somebody, you just need prayer. Go there, okay? It's non-threatening. Nobody will call on you to do anything except if you've got a need that you want to share. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for Christ. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd help us to get the first things first. We need you. Give us faith to trust. In the name of Christ we pray. And together we say what? Amen.